there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, let's get festive. Uh, although I think Scrooge is walking up and down Bay Street and Wall Street. Uh, we do have Steve McMillan uh, on the line. He is with uh, Fidelity. He's a portfolio manager with Fidelity. He manages the Fidelity American Equity Fund, and he also manages the American Small Cap Fund, uh, two funds that Jack and I own for clients, TFSAs and RESPs. Uh, Steve is a very, very smart man. Uh, and I do want to thank you, Steve, for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning to you. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Steve, um, you think differently, and as such, your different thought process gives you an edge. In other words, uh, there's been a lot of noise in the marketplace in the last 60 days, a lot of uh, carnage, a lot of pain has been felt. Um, you're running, how much money do you run, first of all, between your two funds? Uh, about $3.5 billion. $3.5 billion you manage. So what do you think about the current volatility? Uh, is it making you nervous? Are you uh, losing sleep? Or are you capitulating and selling? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I was able to get ahead of the volatility uh, coming into the summer last year and saw what I thought was uh, heightened expectations for earnings in 19 and 20. Uh, and relatively inexpensive stocks in some of the defensive areas of the market. And so both portfolios have really shifted to um, their most defensive positioning that they've really had in the past. Uh, so focused on areas like utilities, consumer staples. Uh, I've got more cash than I typically have. Um, but the way I always run the money is for these kind of markets, which is uh, I try to put together portfolios um, that protect on the downside and that when we get into these shopping markets, you don't have the same risk uh, of a major drawdown in the fund because uh, I think we spent a lot of time talking about whether or not a fund uh, does better than the market, but what we should really be asking ourselves is, did the client make money? Uh, that client experience, the investor experience, and that's really what I'm focused on because if I can reduce the big drawdowns, I can reduce the amount of times they might make a mistake and sell out of the fund at the wrong time and hopefully give a ride that they can uh, own for many years and through a cycle. So, so let's talk further then about, uh, about how you protect to the downside. Let's get more into your process then. What do you look for? What signals do you use? Uh, and to what degree do you rotate? I, I make that point, Steve, because uh, Jack and I are very long in this marketplace and a few clients have challenged us, said, gee whiz, why don't you have 10, 10 or 15% cash? And I said, yeah, sure, but when the markets vomit as aggressively as they have, 10 or 15% cash is not going to really offer you a whole lot of buffer. It's something. So I go about and over to you. How much defensive posture have you taken, uh, and, and what clues did you use to make the rotation? And as such, what kind of turnover does your portfolio generate? So my funds generally have very long time horizons, and so in any given year, maybe a quarter of the stocks I hold might get sold at most. Mm -hmm. So I'm not generally, generally making big swings in the portfolio. So when I put a stock in to begin with, it has to have those risk criteria that I look for. And so one of the big opportunities I think that exists in the market is the notion of time horizon arbitrage. If you go back to the 1950s and 1960s, the average holding period of stock on the New York Stock Exchange was about six to eight years. Mm -hmm. 
Today, it's about six months. That's hilarious. And so you have these uh, assets, stocks, that actually have no maturity. So they could be around for hundreds of years. Um, and we trade them every six months on average. So when I'm buying them, I'm recognizing I actually want to own these things for five or 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I can find a business that I think has really high earnings visibility and I pay a low price for it, that should reduce the risk of having a major drawdown. And I don't worry about those short-term moves up or down. I think about where's the stock going to be in five years. Uh, and so in terms of how I set up the portfolio to be less risky, it really comes down to a stock-by-stock -stock basis of finding those businesses that you'd really want to own for your whole family if you could own the whole thing. The companies that generate a lot of cash, the companies that have high earnings visibility going into next year, and then you pay a low price for them. Uh, and then hopefully that is ultimately what – uh, protects you because you, as you say, having 10 or 15% cash helps you a little bit, but it's not really what drives the portfolio. It's really about having those businesses uh, that can get you through tough economic times. So, right. so Steve, it's Jack here. Uh, you said that you were positioned for the volatility and the weakness that we're seeing in the market uh, being very defensive. Now that we're in this uh, state, um, do you see a lot of opportunities out there? Are you getting more aggressive with the portfolio? So if you look at small cap America over the last 10 years, the fund's gone up sixfold. Um, and wow. so I'm not afraid uh, of investing. I'm not afraid of putting money to work. Um, so I'm not a permanent bear by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so what I'm looking for coming up is finding businesses that are pricing in uh, an earnings reset. And so some of the more uh, defensive businesses uh, I think are good places to be just because the E is stable. The next stage in the market investing cycle for me is going to be finding the stocks that do have a bit more cyclicality to their earnings, but finding the point where the market is pricing um, in those lower earnings. And I don't think we're quite there yet. We're starting to see it in some areas of the market, like potentially in some of the consumer stocks, like some retail stocks, some apparel companies, um, potentially in home building uh, and I'm looking to start getting cash redeployed as we get into weaker markets. Uh, but I think that we really need to make sure that when we look at the valuation of a stock or the market, we're not just looking at the current earnings. We're thinking about it, those earnings in the context of how much earnings have grown in the last decade. If you look at the S&P 500, um, the S&P was earning about $110 a share in 2016. And that was pretty similar to what it was earning back uh, as early as 2011. Next year, the expectation is that $110 will have grown to $180. And my concern is that that number is too high. Um, I think that if you look at where we are cyclically, uh, you're at a point where unemployment has only ever been lower once back in 1954. Um, and at the same time, you have interest rates that also haven't been this low since 1954. Unemployment typically doesn't stay this low uh, for a protracted period of time. And so the risk is that cyclically, we, the best is behind us. Uh, and so if you own a business that requires a strong economy, the risk is that those earnings are overstated and uh, have a headwind in 2019, 20, or 21. Right. Uh, we are online with Steve McMillan. He's on a roll. He, ran, he manages $3.5 
billion. Uh, I think he knows what he's doing. Uh, so stay tuned to High Five Radio. More with Steve McMillan of Fidelity right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to High Five Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. They said there'll be snow at Christmas. They said there'll be peace on earth. But instead it just kept on raining. A veil of tears for the virgin birth. Yeah, it's been raining on Bay Street, I shall say. They said Santa Claus would arrive. Not this year, I guess, eh? Uh, no. He's had lots of chances to arrive, Wolf. You had the, the Fed speak. We were hoping for a little rally after that. Yep. Uh, you also had the elections down in the, the U.S. with The, the midterm, midterm elections yep. look like you're going to get a nice bounce there. So lots of opportunities, but Santa just can't get that sleigh going. What do you think of the Santa Claus rally or, or, or the concept of the Santa Claus rally? Steve McMillan, portfolio manager of $3.5 billion with Fidelity. Uh, I think typically when you get into the end of the year, um, the market will start looking out to 2000 uh, or the next year, in this case, 2019. And when you're in a period of an accelerating economy, that can result in a strong seasonal market. But I think when the market starts to be concerned that maybe we've uh, reached peak earnings, uh, then you're not likely to get a rally in, to year end. In fact, you're like, more likely to get the opposite, which is what we've been experiencing now. And yeah, that, that's sort of where your mindset is right now, late cycle, uh, peak earnings. So the S&P is, is you said the, the street expectations are for the S&P 500 to earn $180. Our, our chief strategist, Tony Dwyer, has a call for $170, correct, Jack? That's correct, yeah. Um, well, so what do you think the S&P earns? Again, we're sort of split hairs here, Steve, but just for fun, what's, what's, your, what's your call on the S&P earnings next year? Uh, I try not to get too granular on on things like that, sure. but I think uh, for me, if you were the CFO of a company, um, 2018 was the year if you were going to spend money on anything that you'd do it, uh, whether it's operating or capital expenditure. You have a point where everyone in the country that wants a job has a job. Uh, you've got a massive tax cut that increased your earnings 10 to 25%. Uh, and so given that positive backdrop, this was really your year to have made investments. And a lot of companies would have invested, uh, benefited from that in their earnings. Think about software companies, think about uh, machinery companies, any company that really res- or, uh, focuses on uh, capital investment. And I think the risk is as we come into 2019, we start to lose confidence, we start to get a pullback in spending, uh, and a lot of those earnings start to come back the other way. You know, you can see it in earnings like FedEx yesterday saying they're seeing significant slowdown uh, going on uh, globally. Um, And I know there's this general view, if you look at the U.S., what a great uh, economy it's been. But if you look at a lot of the European stocks, earnings haven't gone up there in five or six years. Canada's been a flat stock market for a decade. Um, And so the risk is just that we have a cyclical peak in earnings that start to to level off. It doesn't mean we need a massive recession. It doesn't mean that we need a significant crash in the market. I just think that it requires you to focus on different sectors of the market. Do you think you can make some money next year? In the stock market? Or is it going to be a down year? I think we're looking at uh, volatility coming up in 2019. Uh, But what 
I think we really need to focus on is going back to that notion of what's the time horizon you need to have to invest in equities. If you have a 12-month time horizon, then stocks generally don't match uh, that duration. If you have a five- or ten-year time horizon, that's really what you should be focusing yeah. on. And over that time horizon, um, I think stocks generally outperform bonds. You can find great businesses still that generate a lot of cash flow. Uh, and the key is just to focus on really not losing your money over that time horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to give us a couple of your uh, favorite ideas here, Steve, for 2019, 2020, a five-year, a couple of good five-year stocking stuffers, shall we say? Uh, you know, if you look at uh, stocks that have been in the portfolio for a long period of time that continue to be top holdings, uh, be companies like uh, Snap-on Tools that um, really is one of the largest manufacturers of uh, tools used in the automotive repair segment, which is really a non-cyclical uh, industry. Uh, so, sorry, Steve, if I'm not mistaken, I'm starting to interject your Snap. Has that stock had a tough year this year? Uh, like all industrials, uh, it's seen a multiple contraction. Its earnings have generally been very solid. Um, I think that what the market may not recognize is the stability of the end market. So unlike a lot of industrial companies, uh, its end marks have a lot of uh, stability to them because they serve the auto repair segment, which is really not economically sensitive. Your car breaks down no matter what the economy is. And typically... When a weak economy, you're going to actually do repair it that much longer, right? That much more. Is that yeah, good for a week the around? average age of the car park uh, gets longer and you end up needing uh, more repairs. Sorry, but with 52-week performance of Snap, I think it's down in the air, isn't it? Uh, on the last uh, 12 months, it is. Yeah, know, how much uh, is it now? It's Snap-on, right, Wolf? Not yeah, Snap-on snap, yeah. snap yeah. tools, yeah. SNA. Yeah. Uh, over the last year, the stock's down uh, 18%. Oh, was that all? Oh, I thought it was down more, so that's not too bad. Okay. Uh, if you look back over the last six years, it's up 115%. Good. So I think if you look, good back, investment. look at it over the next six years, I think there's a uh, good opportunity as well. What, what kind of earnings multiple does it trade at? It trades around... Um, uh, 12 times earnings. 12, does it pay dividend? Uh, it pays um, uh, 2.5% dividend. Two and, a half. and what else do you like? You want to give us another idea? Uh, you know, other stocks that are big weights in the portfolio would be uh, Grand Canyon Education, uh, LOPE. Um, really interesting business in the fork profit education space. Um, they had the unique insight when they were doing online education that. Um, Students generally wanted to go to a school online that was affiliated with a ground campus, and so they opened a ground campus. Um, the school's grown on ground from 800 students to 25,000 students, and the online's grown uh, to about 65,000 students. And so the business is um, really attractive from a cash flow perspective, uh, generally not economically sensitive because people go back to school uh, when times are more difficult. Huh. Um, and stock trades around 20 times earnings, and it's growing earnings 10 to 15 uh, percent a year. Isn't that something? You know, to my, I know what I'm going to get in my stocking this year. Take a guess. I guess you can't. Uh, I'm going to get myself a uh, course at George Brown, a Culinary 101 course. Yes, I'm going back to school, my good friend. Go back to school in the markets. And they have a bear market. Yeah, yeah, well, I want an alternative career, Steve. I may have to cook for you one day when you have one of those little uh, bashes of yours. Uh, hey, uh, Steve, you sit on the board of directors, by the way, for a uh, charity. Uh, can you give me a quick 15 seconds on it in, in, in the interest of time? But it, it is Christmas. I want to talk charity as well. I want to talk charitable giving. Sure. So uh, Stepstones for Youth is a charity that takes uh, 
young uh, adults that are coming out of the foster care system that actually are required to leave between 16 and 18 years old when we think they're really not ready to take on the world. And we pair them up with uh, an adult that's the person that cares for them in their life. And they act as a mentor, help them do things like uh, figure out how to find a job, uh, figure out, you know, why do you uh, wear a tie to an interview, someone that'll take them out to lunch and just uh, listen to uh, what they want to talk about and really be someone who cares in their life. And it really makes a big difference. It uh, helps kids stay in school, helps them get jobs, um, really makes a big difference to their to their lives. Yeah, and again, please repeat the name of the charity. Uh, Stepstones for Youth. Stepstones for Youth. Uh, well, there's something, folks, if you want to support uh, youth, uh, that's one way of doing it. Uh, Steve McMillan, $3.5 billion portfolio manager with Fidelity. Uh, I want to wish you Merry Christmas. Thank you for all of your wisdom, and uh, thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. Thanks for having me. Uh, coming up next, we are going to speak with the Yellow Brick. Uh, it is a uh, shelter uh, for women who need shelter due to a crisis situation. Again, uh, it is Christmas. It's about charitable giving, and it's Hi-Fi Radio. More of it right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, Merry Christmas and season greetings to you from Hi-Fi Radio. Hopefully we helped you navigate the stormy markets this year. Um, it's been a tough year, but you know something? Charity continues. And uh, Jack, what was the stat you told me since 2006? Charitable contributions in Canada are down some 30%? That's correct, yeah, since 2006. And the other one is that uh, it just came out. It was with the Fraser Institute on uh, Thursday. The, the report came out. Uh, one in five Canadians give to charity. Mm-hmm. One in four Americans give to charity. So that they give, more Americans give, and they also give a lot more too. Mm-hmm. Well, we all have to give more and do our part. So uh, we're going to help you uh, make some choices today uh, and give you some very, very good causes uh, to uh, make a nice uh, stocking stuff and be generous. And you know, you'll get money back from the government. And as tax rates rose, that means your refund uh, will rise as well. And certainly if you're Trontoni making a couple hundred grand, there's a lot of Trontonis making a couple hundred grand. Basically, if you give a thousand, you'll get almost 500 bucks back from the government. If you give, by the way, stock that has appreciated in time. In fact, uh, you will not pay the capital gain if if you donate the stock. So you are better off to donate stock that has a big gain in it. And that way the full um, market value of that will be your charitable contribution. So it's a total win-win for you pulling that move. Uh, call your advisor. Uh, they'll transfer over the certificate to the uh, institution that manages the treasury for that charity. Uh, it's a good thing. But either way, cash, stock, donate. Um, and uh, I'm going to give you a good cause right here. It's called Yellow Brick House. We're on the line here with uh, Laura Herenda. She's the executive director uh, of Yellow Brick House. It is a shelter for women. Uh, thank you very, very much and Merry Christmas to you uh, for joining us today on Hi-Fi Radio. So please tell us about uh, the Yellow Brick House, what you do, what the cause is, and how we can help. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Uh, Yellow Brick House um, is uh, an agency that's been around for 40 years now, and uh, we do provide emergency uh, shelter services uh, and supportive programs to abuse women and children who are fleeing violent homes. So we do offer 41 beds and 10 cribs in two different locations in York Region uh, for families who are fleeing violent homes. And also we offer individual counseling for women and children, uh, group support, family court support, 
uh, and any other wraparound services that the family needs to recover from trauma of abuse and to um, reintegrate into the community and to live violence-free lives. Yeah. I was just looking at the report here, Wolf, uh, that we that we pulled off the website from the Yellow uh, Brick House, mm-hmm. and it, it, it you know economics does not really play a role in here at all. It talks about um, education attainment for women, um, income levels for women. Um, it, it makes no difference, uh, you know, with the amount of spousal uh, violence that those families. So either wealthy or poor both have the same basically uh, issues in, in terms of, you know, spousal violence. Correct, correct. Um, th- th- that seems to be the primary theme. Eh? Uh, uh, your clients end up on your doorstep due to uh, sp- uh, domestic violence? Uh, absolutely, and you're absolutely right in saying that uh, really uh, education and socioeconomic background have absolutely nothing to do uh, with the woman and her children experiencing violence. It can happen to just about anybody. And uh, we work with over 5,500 women and children every single year. Uh, this is a growing problem in Canada. It impacts one in four win- women and their children. And uh, what we've seen in this last year, uh, specifically in Ontario, we've seen an increase in homicide rates as a result of domestic violence. So this past year alone, uh, we've uh, lost 48 women and children due to domestic violence. Wow, so sad. Um, With the holiday season, holiday is a very stressful time for a lot of people, especially uh, economically. Uh, Do you see a a pickup uh, due to the seasonality and and the seasonal stress uh, around the holidays? Yeah. Very much so. We uh, During the holiday season, we actually have an increase of 35% to our crisis and support lines, women and children who are looking for space uh, to escape violence at home, for sure. Um, let's talk about supply and demand. Um, it applies in everything in life, my good friends, good things and bad things. And I ask that because Covenant House, basically a charity I support, um, <coughs> runs out of beds at 2 o'clock. Um, do you have enough beds to uh, support the cause, or, or, or are, you, are you in such demand that you have to turn people away? We, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have 41 beds and 10 cribs, and we are pretty much full all the time. So unfortunately, we do have women and children who are looking for a shelter bed space, and uh, we're not able to accommodate them. Having said that, we do try to find them uh, a space, a safe space somewhere in Ontario, if possible. Uh, unfortunately, often I know many shelters are facing the same reality of not having enough shelter beds. Uh, we do, in, in those cases, uh, provide safety planning with women and children over the phone, and we do see them uh, uh, in the community uh, at least providing supportive services such as counseling and, and, and safety planning if we're not able to provide them with a shelter bed. Yeah. We are speaking with uh, Laura Horenda. She's with uh, the Yellow Brick House. It's a shelter for women. Um, I'll tell you what crosses my mind. Um, uh, I like small charities. I find you're um, more effective. I find you're more efficient. And as such, 84 cents of every dollar that people donate ends up supporting an individual. Uh, in other words, there is no fat. Uh, it's a very, very lean operation. Uh, you, are, you run a budget of a three and a half, basically $3.5 million. Um, you have small reserve funds, shall I say, uh, so you need ongoing donations, and donations represent obviously about a third uh, of your funding requirement. Again, it's called the Yellow Brick House. Um, you obviously have a website, I assume, is yellowbrickhouse.com? Uh, .org. Yellowbrickhouse.org. Um, the cause is real. Uh, the, uh, I think the effectiveness and efficiency of what you do is brilliant. I want to thank you very, very, very much for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for your support. All right. 
We are going to be speaking with Brett Wilson, um, a philanthropist of extraordinary proportions, a good Canadian, uh, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed. We are very, very lucky people, each and every one of us. You're tuning to Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money, which means you have an interest in money. And it is time to give. Uh, we have Brett Wilson on the line, uh, a heavyweight, okay? Canadian heavyweight. Uh, I don't know where to start and end with Brett Wilson. Uh, first off, uh, Brett Wilson is a p- principal shareholder in Canoe Financial. We do own the Canoe Energy Fund. We've had Rafi on air many a times. Uh, he's also a uh, part owner in Nashville Predators. I don't know if we want to focus on that too much. This is, of course, a Toronto nation in here. But, uh, hey, cool uh, investment. Um, big philanthropist, uh, had the uh, garden party and I went online senior garden party Brett uh, but if none of that makes sense you may know him from Dragon's Den uh, he was the friendly dragon and I guess what Jack the most uh, uh, I think you might have done the most deals actually on the Dragon's Den and that, that record still stands so, so you, you, although you, he's been you, off for you a while hit the, you hit the bid did you Brett I love hitting the bid when the bid looks fair good for you and often on often on Dragon's Den the bid looked fairer Fairer, if there's such a word, than many of the other dragons thought. And uh, that was one of the challenges in terms of keeping that show uh, moving forward, is getting a few deals done. It's one thing to berate people, it's another to actually write a check. Indeed. So, uh, just going through the, the so some information on you, Brett. I like this uh, line here in uh, Hello Canada. Uh, my mom was a social worker, my dad sold cars. Pretty ordinary background. But with the benefit of hindsight, I really appreciate how much my parents did for my community. Makes me cry, that kind of stuff. It really does. So let's talk about giving mm-hmm. right now, my good friend. It's Christmas, and uh, uh, charitable donations, according to Jack's homework, uh, are down from 2006. So the financial crisis obviously had an impact on people. Uh, I think Canadian taxes rising had an impact on charitable giving, but it's important. We must do it. I slept on the streets myself, Brett. For Covenant House, I raised some $42,000. The whole event raised over a million bucks. Small potatoes. we got to keep doing this stuff here. So t- tell me, about, you also say, Wilson claims that he sees corporate social responsibility not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. That's what I like. You know, some, you're, you're turning a good thing into a better thing. So how is corporate philanthropy an opportunity, Brett? Well, there's, there's such a range of where this conversation can go, yeah. and, I, and I always love it. The, um, many, many years ago, I was doing some of my first charity work in the corporate world, trying to build the brand of the business that I was involved in. And it became increasingly obvious that thoughtful, tactical charity was interesting, but thoughtful, strategic charity was far more interesting. And that was really about trying to engage the clients of a particular firm. And the clients include, um, or those who are affected by charity, include a lot more than just the clients. They include your competitors. They include your staff, your suppliers, your landlord. There's so many things. And we started to look at the opportunity that was embedded in doing good things versus the obligation. Often, 
naysayers or critics will say that with power and wealth comes this incredible responsibility for individuals and corporations to give back. And I'm not going to debate whether or not there's a responsibility, but for me, that's because for me, the bar is so much higher when I look at the opportunity. And I, I jokingly refer to the, the time when I was seven or eight years old and I had to mow the lawn at the lake with the old lawnmower versus a year Was it electric or I gas? Got, Oh, this is all gas. Oh, you're lucky. I had an electric pal at the cottage. I kid you not. He's a Western boy. 200, that's right. You're a Western boy. It was a combine. It wasn't a long, it was a combine, Brett. Well, it was a small combine. Think about it in the context of an obligation to cut the lawn. And then Dad bought a new lawnmower. And I remember the first time I got to mow the lawn. That was my opportunity with the new lawnmower. And so it's just about changing perceptions. And so many people you know, talk about, well, we'll do this once a year and we'll do charity work every once in a while. And I look at it and go, what the, it was, especially in the corporate world, the opportunity far exceeds the obligation. So why worry about the obligation? There's a chance to engage our staff at First Energy when I was back there, uh, you know, adopting people, families for Christmas, the, how that engaged my own team was far more powerful than even the impact on the people that we were giving to. So it was an incredible opportunity. We have Brett Wilson on the line, uh, author, philanthropist, uh, businessman, investor, hockey enthusiast, Westerner. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, list of things to talk to you about. But you know what really gets my hand? We had a uh, charity just on the line called the Yellow Brick House. It is a shelter for abused women. Uh, here in Toronto or in New York region. And you uh, have uh, launched a, a charity called Domestic Abuse Studies. Excuse me, what's the name of your charity? For, for You have a charity. Tell, tell us about it, the one for... Uh, well, for, it's, yeah. it's actually called the Wilson Center for Domestic Thank you. Abuse there Studies. Is, yeah. And it's, uh, I engaged with an organization called the Calgary Counseling Center many, many years ago, and we've provided funding to that group. They, they do outreach. They do... Um, they are, for many people, the first point of contact when a phone call is needed to provide a little bit of, of thoughtful support and caring support. And uh, there's such a range from kids to the elderly who uh, who can turn to uh, the counseling centers or places like that. So, yes, I've had a particular pet passion in terms of supporting those who are often out of sight and out of mind, whether it's veterans uh, or the women and children. We do a Christmas party every year where we make sure that every shelter has the opportunity to send everyone who is stuck in the shelter to our own private Christmas show involving uh you know, well, mostly country artists because that's what I like. But anyway, the real point is, it's a gathering point. So, so how many people for show up for that? Interesting people. Yeah, how many people show uh, up for that? Well, well, this year there was about two hundred people came from the shelters, and about a thousand people came from community. God bless you, my man. Brett Wilson, you're a good guy. Uh, you're going to hang around. We want, we want to keep keep this going here, Brett. You're teaching me something. You make me feel good. And uh, you're spreading the gospel, my good friend. On Hi-Fi Radio, uh, Brett Wilson, Jack Hartle, and your host, Wolfgang Klein. More of it right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, Brett, that's got a bit of country in it, eh? A little stomp in your foot there. That works, doesn't it? 
Hey? It sounds good to me. It yeah, sounds man. very good to me. Got Brett Wilson on the line. Uh, you're in Calgary right now, Brett? I'm in Calgary, and Toronto's in Toronto, and Nashville's in Nashville. No. And I just thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate the uh, the plug. It's nice to have Toronto, and uh, in fact, more importantly, a number of Canadian teams are uh, are actually in the top quartile of the league. And remember, it was only four or five years ago that not a single Canadian team made the playoffs. So I'm pleased to see the uh, the competitive of the league. <laughs> well, Jack, 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 it was, Jack, it was, it was looking, talking hockey here for Jack. <laughs> it, it was looking pretty dismal for a while there, but we got the first overall pick, and uh, we'll see if we can sign a couple boys next year and, uh, and keep the trajectory going upward for Toronto. But uh, right now, I mean, the markets have been terrible, Brett, obviously, uh, since October. Yeah. Oil markets out in Calgary have obviously been oh. atrocious. We talk about charitable giving, and the, the, one of the issues with charitable giving is when you have markets like this and we have wealth destruction like this, people aren't really in the mood for giving even though it's a seasonal time so i'm uh, just wondering uh, brett in terms of you know how you guys give and what you're seeing out there um th- is it affected at all by the the downswing that we've seen in the the oil markets oh absolutely it's difficult to engage companies when uh um when things look dark around us so i appreciate how challenging it is we've as in my little group whether it's canoe or my private business have Said that you know, we'll cut into our savings, if you will, uh, to give because we've uh, we've had a good run over the last you know three or four decades, and so giving becomes uh, far more empowering. But let's let's go back to the big picture. I mean, in charitable giving, a lot of people focus on just checkbook philanthropy and maybe doing half a day of volunteer work once a year. Uh, there's so much more, and it really comes down to how do you engage people to want to give just a little bit more. So part of it is changing the dialogue about opportunity versus obligation. And then secondly, it's presenting opportunities where it's easy to give and or inspire people to pay it forward. You know, a little girl going to an old folks' home, that's time. A little girl taking a new checkerboard to an old folks' home, that's money. But that little girl taking her brother to the old folks' home to play college, to play checkers, that's leadership. And what we need to think about is how do we inspire leadership so that within every individual there's the capacity, capacity to do more. How do you encourage it? And so it's really about planting the seeds, watering the seeds, and doing more. And we do so much more than we talk about publicly uh, in terms of, you know, canoe and uh, and myself and friends, you know, dinners for the homeless, the hungry, uh, trips to Mexico to build homes. But a lot of these are team-building exercises for my team for the purpose of inspiring them to do more. That's so smart, Brett. That's so smart. Yeah, my kid uh, was taken was, was was brought down with his school to St. Francis Tables. It's a shelter for well, it, it's 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 a supper uh, uh, kitchen, shall I yep. say, for for the homeless. They have to pay a dollar to get their meal, and they line up every day. I see them on Queen Street West. It's just incredible. The demand is just uh, ginormous, and you know we don't see with our very eyes as we go to work each and every day, and the sun is shining, or even the skies are gray. There's light outside, but the cities change. The cities change at night, and as we sleep, things take place uh, at night that we just never imagined. I, I bought my, I, well, I guess I can tell that, my wife a Christmas present. hope she doesn't listen to the show here. Um, and the, the jeweler who sold me the Christmas gift uh, supported my Covenant House, gave me another $100 for Covenant House. He said, Wolf, every single night on my doorstep, at my, in front of my business, because he has cameras, someone is sleeping on that on that doorstep every single night, uh, day in day. So your message, Brett, I like. is Brett Wilson, by the way, on the line with us, uh, philanthropist, uh, canoe, energy, uh, Dragon's Den, um, Westerner, National 
Nashville Predators. Don't want to talk too much about that part, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, but, but the, the, it's ongoing. So you, I like what you're saying here, and, and, and the way you're getting philosophical about it, but taking to the point of becoming a position of leadership. So, so how can you encourage the hi-fi listener to to take on that role, Brett? Well, first of all, it's understanding how easy it is, and that's why I gave the analogy, if you will, of the little girl. Um, showing leadership by bringing her brother to a to an old folks home. There's so many ways of approaching um, charitable giving. I mean, it could be a little bit for a number of causes. It could be a lot for one cause. I don't much care, but I often talk about how important it is to be meaningful. And I love running events where we ask people to bring a check that's meaningful to them. There's so many events, and the, the hooty-tooty sort of approach to big event planning is to put a big ticket on a 500, 1,000, 1,500, even 2,500 bucks a ticket. Yep. My approach is virtually the opposite. And it's invite only. I don't, you know, the only people invited are people that are related to me through either an ask or a friend or a, or a business or family. But again, it's an invite only event. And we ask people to bring a check that's meaningful to them, payable to a charity of my choice. In return, I'll pay for the party, and I have a number of relationships you know, with musicians and comedians and all sorts of uh, genre of entertainment, but focus on music, and so we do Christmas. We do this garden party that you made mention of. We've got a stampede event, and we've got more stuff. So there's all of these things are done to engage people, but in every case in my world, what I ask for is a meaningful check. So a single mom having a tough go who's a good friend, uh, someone, one of my kids, shows up and leaves me with 20 bucks, I celebrate that. A downtown lawyer who can't make my event sends me a check for 5000 and I celebrate that as well. And so they're all treating the event with the same dignity and respect that we ask. And it's less about judgment, less about um, how much can any one person give, but asking everyone to give a little more. And that's that whole concept of meaningful. I joke from stage and say, look, if you want it to be meaningful, just dig a little deeper. If you want it to be meaningful to me, I laugh. I say double it or add a dollar. I don't care what. And the idea is just reach a little deeper. And we get, again, there's a local real estate developer. Every check I get from him is for $10,001. He adds that dollar. And I'm sure his accountant asks him every time, what the hell's a dollar? I've gotten some odd, you know, in, in terms of canvassing for Covenant House, I got some odd numbers on, on donations, like $38. I don't get the odd, I'm with you on that one. Then. Hey, Brett, can you hang around for one more hit? Uh, you, you really are inspiring me. I think you're you're having an impact Absolutely. on the audience. And I, I think, you know, time of the, time of the year, we we need people like you to champion such a positive message. Are you going to hang around? You bet. All right. More, more Brett Wilson uh, on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, the Christmas edition of Hi-Fi Radio, and uh, we've had some great philanthropists on this stage. We had uh, Mark McEwen recently from Gold Corp. Um, we had uh, the Yellow Brick Door uh, on this morning uh, to speak about uh, the uh, 
a women's shelter uh, that is the Yellow Brick uh, House and the Covenant House. Obviously, we Co- featured multiple times this yep. year, Wolf. Uh, but uh, we got a Westerner on Brett Wilson, who uh, he's he's, he's well known coast to coast here in Canada, uh, and uh, you, you have such a great message, Brett Wilson. Um, before you go into charity again, another way of giving money to charity is by donating stock versus cash. Uh, that way, the full value of the shares uh, can be donated. And I've, and I've seen in the oil bull market, uh, Brett, people giving away oil stocks. Uh, not so much right now with the oil market being down as much as it is. But you're a wealthy man. Can, can you offer, we're going to put come back to charity, but can you offer some investment advice to the average investor in Canada? In other words, it's been a tough couple of markets, a couple of months. Um, we, you know, Jack and I are picking up a few panic calls, and I always say it's the rich, it's the super successful who love times of volatility and crises because they step in and gobble up assets at cheaper prices, hold them for five or ten years, and make off like bandits, but then are able to give a whole lot of money to charity. Can you speak well, to that comment there, Brett? For, for the point of that, too, is that what Wolfgang's talking about is it's going from the weak hands, which are the, the retail investors, right. to the, the strong hands, the institutional investors, the high net worth individuals like Brett that see value if they can extend their time rise and look out a little further. Yeah, so you're not panicking this market, are you, Brett, or are you panicking? Well, I've been diversified, if you will, for a long time, and so the things that I've invested in range from the sports team in Nashville, which has proved to be an extraordinary investment, because it was a vision that said, this town really does understand and love hockey. It just hasn't been brought together. And so there's a whole story there. Then there was the day that farmland became available for people who weren't residents of Saskatchewan. I remember that, yeah. And then played there. And that's a massive part of our portfolio. And I was buying downtown Vancouver real estate 15 years ago. So it, uh, it looked like top of market to some locals, but as it's turned out, for the 15-year run, Vancouver has been very kind to us. Uh, so you bought, Trudeau, this, excuse me, excuse me, I'm going to interrupt you, Brett. So you bought Vancouver no. real estate, top of market, right? When well, you, when you, when you like purchased it, it was top of market. market. 15 years ago. Yeah. But, you know, we looked at it and said, just a minute, cap rate six, and, uh, and, inter- and Q- uh, pardon me, and the um, typical rents were in the 15 to $20 range. We're looking at it from the outside going, that cap rate is high, and those, uh, those um, lease rates are low. And yet locals are going, yeah, but these are the lowest cap rates we've seen in ages. Well, it's just, again, an outsider's perspective looking at that. Same thing with farmland, same thing, and I'll give credit for, to the Trudeau government for only one thing, and that was the legalization of cannabis. That was fish-in-a-barrel kind of economics to look at it. And for me right now, the energy sector does look appealing. You've got to be careful. You've got to stock pick carefully. One of the reasons, and again, I come wearing, a, wearing the canoe hat, sure. one of the reasons I like mutual funds of any sort, and again, I always say don't pick one, pick several, because you're, you're betting on the individual behind, the portfolio manager, and of course the team that's behind the portfolio manager, but individual stock picking at the early part of anyone's investing cycle or career, I think is a mistake. You catch a friend who said, oh yeah, I bought this and it doubled, whatever. Those stories are interesting, but it's more speculation than investing. And that's why I like the mutual fund approach to call it the first 10 years of building or accumulating wealth. Yeah. And the, the other common theme I think through there, Brett, is buying quality assets. You talk about farmland in Saskatchewan, first world country, undervalued, an NHL team, a franchise, obviously you got a, a massive moat around there. And then Vancouver property, like I said, very high quality assets across the board. And I think you'd probably say the same thing about, you know, oil assets. If you're going to buy stuff, make sure that it's, you know, the, the best managers in the business and the best high quality assets you can find. Indeed. Um, Brett Wilson, uh, closing comments. Um, 
towards charitable giving. Uh, give us a stinger that's just going to hit us in the heart and make us pull out our wallets and, and give, give, give. And by the way, do me a favor. Invite me to your garden party. I will cut the check that you're looking for. <laughs> plus and, a dollar. Uh, plus a dollar. You'll get, yeah, Jack, Jack will give the buck. I'll give the I'll dollar. I'll cut the check. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget the dollar. Yeah. Well, let me just extend the, just a beautiful story of uh, standing on stage talking about how doubling, if you were to double whatever you gave me uh, as part of the charity, um, I'd be appreciative. It'd be meaningful to me. And I was, again, I'm joking. At that point, one of my business colleagues wrote a check for $50,000, and I knew they could afford it readily relative to the cause, relative to the where they were in the cycle of life, and got a man hug, and I was happy. But 10 minutes later, one of my daughter's best friends came up. She's 17 years old, and she hands me a second $20 bill. It's still, to this day, gets me emotionally remembering that she dug deep. She dug deeper to take that extra 20 than my friend who wrote the check for 50. And that girl still is on stage yep. singing at every event I do. I mean, it's, it's, so, so emotion, it's such an incredibly emotional experience to watch people when they choose to do what's meaningful to them. Yep. And it's to them. Good for you, Brett. I love it. I love it. See, when you give, you get back even more, don't you, Brett? Absolutely. It's the Even truth. if it's just the feeling. But we know the world is better off if everybody chooses to give just a little more. Correct. Well, everybody has to give. And as Jack indicated, one in five Canadians gives to charity, one in four Americans give to charity. The number should be 100% of us gives something to charity. But all in due course, we have our work cut out for us. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and thank you very kindly for your generosity with your time. Uh, the audience has heard you and... Uh, I think the contributions are going to start to roll in this week, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Brett. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio will be back next week. We do want to wish you a safe, happy holiday. Do not drink uh, and drive. Don't smoke marijuana and drive. Uh, stretch, take a walk, take a cab, take Uber. Be safe, keep the streets safe, and you will then have more time to give to charity. All the best to you, and thank you very much, Kindy Jack, for all of your great work this year. I'll see you next year. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.